Welcome back, everybody, for another episode. And before we get started, rnkmobilerverepair.com. Go there, click on their website, find their number, give them a call if you're in the Dallas-Austin-Houston triangle. If you work in the oil field and you come home from a long 14-hour day and all you want to do is kick your boots off and relax and yet you've got this leaky window or an air conditioner's out or the plumbing's not working right, the faucet doesn't turn on, the carpet's messed up, you name it, whatever it is, whatever's wrong with it, whatever's nagging you, you're sitting there and I just want to relax. These guys come to you, they fix it, and then they're out of there. That's how easy it is with R&K Mobile RV Repair and they do great work. So you can relax and get on with your day and wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for the, for the next shift, I might say, or hunt Whatever it is. So go check them out at their website, rnkmobilerverepair.com. All right. And now also C-Lite, S-E-E-L-I-T-E, for any sort of custom LED lighting uh, for your duck boat, your four-wheeler, your Polaris Ranger, car, truck, SUV, whatever it is. Whatever you need LED lighting for, they do custom work. They build everything from scratch to your specific need, and they make it look great. They go all over the United States, so... Give them a shout. Go check them out on their Instagram page or the website. Uh, they are not paid sponsors of the show. I just know the quality of work they do and the people that work for them slash own the company, and they are great. So as, that being said, before I get into uh, saying what this episode is about, please go and rate and review the podcast. It really helps get listeners. It helps whenever you search a podcast with that that uh, name or keyword to pop up sooner the more reviews that you have and ratings. So if you would please do that, if you're so kind to. If not, that's fine. Still listen to it. Uh, I'm just asking, uh, kind of begging, whatever. I'm just asking for uh, any help I can get. So really appreciate it. If you do that, just know I preach. Preach Um So with that being said, we have Sean McGrath on this episode of the podcast. He is an actor he owns his own theater company. He does many, many, many different things from writing, technical stuff. Uh, he's worked in it, and he's known what he has wanted to do since the age of 12. I won't give too much away in the podcast, but we have a great conversation. So without any further delay, please enjoy Sean McGrath. Now, uh, I guess, what? so what do you do up there in... New York, explain for everybody kind of what your profession is and what you decided as your vocation and kind of how you got into it. Yeah, well, I am, I work, the, the easiest way to describe it is I work in theater. Uh, that's a very vague thing. I do production management. I do some sound mixing, some sound engineering. Uh, I'm just kind of starting to teach myself how to do some lighting stuff as well. Um, and just freelance carp job whenever they come up um and i started how did i get into doing this stuff i started out i went to school for acting um so i started out as an actor that led me to a place called the barrow group which is a small theater company in um in health kitchen uh, and i did an apprenticeship there through that i met I became really good friends with their TV, and he's he started taking me on calls with him to just do like freelance carpentry work. And through that, basically just through doing, I learned 
I learned about some sound engineering. I learned about, I learned the more business end of it, I guess you could say, with budgeting and managing budget and budgets, managing designers and their expectations. Um, and from that, I kind of naturally got into production management, which is just managing all the different elements of a production, all the different technical elements of the production. Um, yeah, so it's, depending on the month, I could be working as a sound engineer or a production manager. Uh, it's, it's a pretty crazy world. <laughs> I bet, man. I bet. And we were talking a little bit beforehand, and I kind of want to know, like, how you, like, really even further back than like going to acting school, what, what made you want to go to acting school in the first place? Like to be an actor, what, what brought up that dream? I know lots of people have it, but really like what's the why behind um, even taking that leap in the first place? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I'm an attention whore. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I kind of just growing up, I was in middle school productions and high school productions and I just really enjoyed doing them. I enjoyed being there. Um, and then there was, this is going to sound ridiculous, but when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, my parents took us to Universal Studios. And do you remember that Nickelodeon show, Doug? Yep. They had like, we went to a live Doug performance thing they were having in Universal Studios. Oh my gosh. Um, and Adam DeCrab, they like picked me to the show had like so like he was he was Quail Man and they picked someone from the audience every day to be Quail Boy to go on stage for like five seconds to pull a letter and they picked me that day and like twelve year old Sean just goes, Yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. It was <laughs> that I guess I can call the moment where it clicked for me, like, I wanna I wanna act. So you, um You're twelve. I was 12 years old when this happened. Uh, and, you know, the best time to make all of your major life decisions is at 12 years old. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you're you're not thinking about what anybody else is thinking of you. You're just like, oh, I like that. That makes more yeah. sense. It actually truly makes more sense if we all, like, as responsible adults, for a moment in time, say, if they say, what do you like to do? And you thought like a 12-year-old at that moment, and just blurted out what you what, actually what like. Yeah, that is a good. That's a good theory to go by to deciding what you want to do. Yeah, uh, it really is, and it's it's helped guide me. Like ever since I was twelve years old, I'm like I want to do this. How do I make this happen? Um, and like through that, through acting, is how I kind of I guess you can say not to be cliche, but quote unquote fell in love with theater. Um. And through that, like, I don't do as much acting as I want to right now. Um, actually, that's a lie. I do as much acting as I want to. I don't do too much acting. I do a lot more writing nowadays and a lot more um, production management and working in on the, on the technical side yeah. of the craft. Um, but, like, it's just every now and then when I'm like, oh, I wish I was acting more, I do have to be, take a step back and be like, I'm making a living working in the industry I want to be working in. There you go. You found that the that, avenue, that, like your yeah. little niche, man, to stay in it.
be able to be like, yeah, I, I love theater and I'm making a living working in it. And that in and of itself is cool. Um, and a producer I worked with recently, she is one of the best compliments I've ever received. She was like, you know how to get this done and what it takes to make it work. Um, she's like, and you have, you have the dedication to make it work, which I think at the end of the day, that is what I'm striving for to, to be dedicated enough to make whatever project I'm working on work. I like that you said dedicated uh-huh. because there was uh, mm-hmm. the podcast I just did. One of the best quotes mm-hmm. I've ever heard was uh it, it had to do gym gym related like she she went into the gym and she was like man i just don't feel like doing this and this guy told her are you motivated or dedicated he's one of our friends he says are you motivated or dedicated and she's like well i mean i'm dedicated to this journey he goes then just get over there do your work and go home and it's a successful day like the difference between motivation and dedication and you you chose the perfect word for what you're describing because you're obviously you're not going to stick with your craft that long if you're not dedicated to something. Exactly. Yeah. You know? and it, no, yeah. And it, and it goes with that. It, it goes with anything, really. Like, like you said, um, at the gym, it's the same thing. Um, because what I always tell myself when I'm ready to like give up on something, I'm like, at the end of the day, I'll feel much better about myself pushing through this right now. Um, and getting it done then if I don't do it and then I go home and I'm like, why didn't I get that done? And I kick myself for three days because of it, because I'm that type of person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean Mm -hmm. that, uh, it's neat to hear like your side of things and going through the acting stuff, because that's something so far off for people. And you hear the stories all the time about like, I'm going to LA, I'm going to be an actress or I'm going to be an actor and that's what I'm going to do. But you really like the industry so much that you took the leap and started writing. You start doing lighting. You start doing technical. You're not getting like, you're not just pursuing, I guess, waitress jobs till you make it big on the movie screen. You're doing everything else in the industry to learn more about your craft mm-hmm. and to educate yeah. yourself along the way. What What kind of acting did you do was it on tv was it broadway what what kind of theaters were you in were they big theaters or just like kind of small little theaters what kind of acting was it um it was mostly smaller theaters uh i have i've never done anything on broadway yet um uh yeah mostly smaller theaters i did some film work some independent film um but i think theaters really is really where my passion is at and i enjoy doing that I feel like I have more freedom doing that than any sort of film acting. What's it uh, like? Mostly, what's it like being on stage? I, I hate to cut you off, but I got a thought in my head, no, and then I just, and then it just popped out of my mouth. Right. That was bad hosting moment there. Um, <laughs> but what I, I kind of want to know what it's like on one of those theaters in in New York City. You're doing live theater, so if you mess up, like the crowd of people sees you, you know, you're getting paid to do it at this point, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting paid to to put on a show. So if you mess up, you're fired. You know, kind of thing. Or at least there's those nerves I imagine are in it. So what's what's the process like? How much do you work? Like how much training does it take, and so on? Um, it's that's an interesting question because it's different for anybody. And actually, when you when you mess up on stage, ninety nine times out of a hundred, 
no one in the audience notices. 98 times out of 100, none of the producers notice, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, yeah, unless unless you're very clearly, like, have, that, have something click in your brain, where you're like, oh, I messed up, what do I do now, and you have a panic moment. And I've seen some really great actors actually have that moment before. Um, but, like, if you mess up, you kind of just, like, keep keep pushing and keep going on. And like I said, one of my acting teachers, actually, he, he was like, the audience doesn't know what's going on in your brain. Um, and most of the time, they haven't seen what you're doing. So if you flub a line or something like that, just keep going with it. They probably won't pick up on it. Um, you, you have to rely on your, your like, act like the other actors on stage to cover your back. Like you would cover their back. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, I wouldn't necessarily call it like covering your back, but it's a, it's a very collaborative process. Um, and when you, when you work on a good show, the goal is to work on a show where the, where there's not like a diva in the cast or something where they're like, this show is all about me. That happens on a lot of shows. Uh, I think the really great ones, they have really strong ensemble casts that, um, that like, yeah, I guess like you did say, have each other's backs um, and support each other. And something I always like to think is your your play is only as strong as your weakest link, whether that's an actor or a stagehand or a stage manager or something. Yeah. Um, which also, by the way, I'll say now, stage managers do not get the credit they deserve. They're the real heroes of this industry. The managers? <laughs> yeah, stage managing. It, oh. is, it is arguably the hardest job in the industry and most thankless. Well, what does a stage manager do? Take us through that. Um, stage manager, I can't even... I've assistant stage manager before, um, but I can't even fathom half the stuff a stage manager does. Um, from... From what I've seen them do, the really great ones, um, they're there. They're the first one in the theater, last one out, um, helping, helping to set the stage in some capacity. Usually, leading, setting up for the um, for the show. And as you, different levels, stage managers have different types of responsibilities. Like on Broadway, obviously, there are a lot more hands helping them. Um, Off-Broadway, there's usually less people on it. When you get off-Broadway, off usually they're running the sound and light board in addition to um, wrangling the cast and uh, making sure everyone's in places and, getting with them and communicating with the house managers to make sure to make sure that the house is opening on time and that everything's in place before the house opens. Um, and, Basically, making sure nothing crashes and burns. So every timing, every like moment where somebody's supposed to be on stage, every wardrobe, all that stuff—they're in charge of making sure all that stuff is correct. Correct. Yeah, and they have people working under them, like their wardrobe supervisors that work backstage and such. Um, they usually have assistant stage managers, uh, but they're the ones that are kind of overseeing everything the real interesting thing about just listen to you talk right now and um 
what you said that you can kind of tie into a lot of different vocations or anything that you're passionate about or you have like a drive to do or dedicated like you said in this sort of thing is the you're saying when they're on Broadway when they've made it to the top of the top of this level of stage managing they have a lot of hands that work for them and do all these other things and they just get to use their knowledge but they got that knowledge from working up through the chain and doing all those things all at once and they handle all that stress. And so it's kind of like the path you're on in a way of they took the, they're doing everything, every part of the job from, you know, making they're they are the stage hand, like they're the stage hand and the manager, you know, and then they get to the big time and they get stage hands where they get to use only their experience to make this thing come to life. Yeah. Any, yeah, any, any stage manager on Broadway, they've done a show. They've done at least one show most likely where they did everything to make it come to life. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. Think about how many people are, were in that play that, that you were doing or the show. Uh, the show I was doing, the show I was sound mixing off probably was a one man show. Um, that one was, I think that's probably part of the reason why it was a fairly easy going process. Um, but there was, there's still a fair amount to do with that show. We had, I think I can say this because there's, it's been running for a long enough time, but there was, there's one part in the show where literally hundreds and on Broadway now probably thousands of toys fall from the sky <laughs> so it's a matter of picking up those toys and resetting them every night but um, how many actors like yeah. how many actors would you say are in like an average i don't know if that's a good I, you can obviously tell i have no idea um i'm not a theater person if you want to say but um i i guess i'm appreciative of the product like putting some a live show on because as we were talking before and i'm i'm a big uh, stand-up comedian dork, you know? So, in a way, yeah. I guess I do kind of like a theater in a way, because that's a one-man mm-hmm. show that I laugh at, you know? But yeah. um, but I have an appreciation for somebody who can go entertain live like that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the big, Especially work their way up to the biggest levels where it's like, you know, you're getting paid to do it. So, um, how many... Yeah. How many people can a stage man- manager be actually managing? Like, how many actors and that sort of thing at one time? Oh, that depends on a lot of factors. Um, obviously, it depends on the personality of the actors. Some actors are easier to manage than others. Uh, I wouldn't say there's like a set average number of actors in a play. Um, like, if I want to average the last two shows I saw on Broadway, one show was a one-man show, and the next show I saw I had about 25 people in the cast. So Okay, um, okay. Gotcha. So if you take if you take that average, it's thirteen people. <laughs> um, <laughs> two shows. <laughs> I got two shows, one and twenty five. Uh huh. There you yeah. go. And it's funny. Yeah, and it's funny. I actually know the 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 production stage managers. I don't know them personally, but through other people, I know them who are working on both of those shows, and they're they're married. So like one is production stage managing one mid show uh, with like not a lot of technical elements and the other one is production stage managing the show with like 
25 people in it and a live goose on stage at one point and a baby on stage at oh one point. Oh, my gosh. And an open flame on stage at one point. And it's, and spoiler alert, gunshots at the end of the play. So I won't name what play it is in case people want to see it. Um, <laughs> okay. But, it, but it's, it, it's crazy how, like, you can... And both of them I loved for different reasons, obviously, but... Yeah, that just goes to show how different shows can be, and why it's so hard to be like, "Oh, your average show entails this." Well, the diversity—that um, diversity right there—of the—I mean, your job's mm-hmm. always changing; it's constantly evolving yep. and moving. It's never the same. You would mm-hmm. think, okay, this show runs for so long, I'm just going to do it. It becomes easy because I know everything. But for those stage managers, and for you, and for anybody that's doing the technical thing, um, it seems like would change constantly from one person to 25 person to 50 people down to 15 people, how many words are in it. I mean, that's a constantly evolving thing and you can't have that. Like I'm assuming stage managers work on multiple shows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, multiple shows a year. Um, yeah. Some stage managers, I mean, it depends too. Cause some Broadway shows like long running Broadway shows, you can kind of, no, I can't say you can fall into like a comfort zone, but you can fall into like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know if something pops up, if something pops up, I know what to do. Um, which any show you're stage managing, a good stage manager will know, like, oh, if something pops up, I know exactly what to do. Um, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of stage managers, especially in the off Broadway realm, it's like you're on something for three months and then it's on uh, the next thing and out of the next thing and out of the next thing. Uh, and they can be vastly different from each other. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk. Like, let's just. Can you talk about the comedian that you worked with? Oh yeah, Mike. Uh, Mike Pavilion. Yeah. Is, first of all, he is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Um, yeah. And I can. I guess now that I've worked with him and. I know him well enough. I could say this. What's funny is I actually got the. Um, he did a movie called Don't Think Twice that came out in 2016, and the movie's the movie's actually about. Um, it's it's about a, a a sketch comedy team who are all trying to make it in the city, and it deals with like how how to deal with your friends getting success and how to be happy for them without being jealous of their success uh, and the feeling of, like, why isn't that me up there having that success? There's a lot of issues like that that a lot of artists go through. Um, and I saw it at a great moment in my life. And fast forward two years later, and I'm working with him. <laughs> uh, that was kind of weird. And I, I never told him that because I wasn't going to be... I didn't want to be like, I saw your movie, and I cried like a baby because it just meant so much to me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> You'd have for yeah, sure but, been in one of his bits, and I'm, and I'm sure, right? And I'm sure if I had told him that, he would have been like, uh, "Okay, where's my microphone?" <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, it was it was a really cool experience getting to work with him and getting to work with somebody at his level who he's really the type of person and the type of comedian that you can really tell like he's really worked his way to the top um yeah 
Well, he's been around a long time, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he has been. He has, he's been around a while. Um, and everything he does is, I think one of the reasons he's been so successful is everything he's done is so relatable. Even if you haven't been through, uh, even if you haven't walked your way through a window, which is what one of his films slash specials slash book is about. Um like it's just it speaks everything he does really speaks to the human condition I'd say um, and he just has such an ease about him when it comes to talking about his life in a in a, in a comedic way I guess you can say yeah to, um, they kind of are very almost the most vulnerable through humor yeah yeah the good That's ones you know the people who you want to yeah. go see over and over again uh, and the, the your, like your favorites, the one that work their tails off and they tell those stories like that. Uh, they're mm-hmm. like that one. Something about humans we're we're attracted to people who are vulnerable and open. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and all of the and you could see that in most of the really successful comedians and actors as well, uh, stage actors anyway. Um, that they're they're comfortable being vulnerable and open, um, and even to a degree being vulnerable and open about their own life. Obviously, they all have private lives they like to keep, which yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you have private th- you have private things, but to be vulnerable, I mean, in like relating with this their struggles or like thoughts they have, like you know, you're saying, I guess the play he's doing right, we can say that the play that you worked on or worked with them on or something about that. We were talking before about having mm-hmm. kids and not wanting to have kids. And he can openly come out and say to hundreds, thousands, millions of people, whoever wants to tune in and listen, he can openly say his actual thoughts of that at the moment and not be, mm-hmm. and not have like a bad feeling towards it. He's actually telling it in a humorous way and funny but hey, there's lots of people who have thought the same exact thing he has, that if they said it, they get in trouble, so they hold back and they don't say how they really feel and they're not as vulnerable, you know, out in the open like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just, it's addressing the, the inner feelings that these that these people have uh, that they can't necessarily talk about for a number of reasons. Whether it's not being able to be vulnerable for, for some reason or not having anyone to say it to. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's one that's a reason why him and other comedians of his of his ilk. Am I using the word ilk right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I may have just made that word up. Uh, 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 I don't know that I've I I don't know that I've ever heard that word used. But I was also homeschooled, so we can't go always by. What I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, here we go. I just, I just looked up ilk, a type of people or things similar to those that you referred to. So I think I was using it correctly. I think you you nailed it, dude. That was a home run. Yeah. You knocked it out yeah, of the park. There we go. I should I shouldn't have done it myself. It was out um, there in your subconscious to get that part right. Yeah. Exactly. So now every single play I write, I'm going to put the word ilk in. It. Oh, perfect. And <laughs> my, whenever you're in an interview. Whenever you're in an interview, mm-hmm. like for a acting, like if you're doing an acting job, work it into the script during the like, uh, what do they call it? The um, 
Why did I go blank in my head now? I'm thinking of elk now. During the, <laughs> during the rehearsal, period, during the rehearsal yeah. period or the development period, just yeah. working the word elk. Just working in all the, the time. Where, Everywhere I go. Yeah, just just where, where, <laughs> where the playwright and the director are both like, mm, that word can go good right there. We should keep it. <laughs> yeah, that sounded smart. We're going to keep that in this, yeah, this section. We're going to keep that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, the this that's what this podcast is about. It's about improving people's lives, and I think we just did that. So, yeah, we taught them a word. Anyone? Mm-hmm. So it's perfect. no. We we every everyone listening to this has learned something new, unless yeah. they already knew what the word elk meant. In which case, we could be the only it. two. We could be the only two. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we could be the only two people on the face of the earth who don't know what the word elk means. Yeah. Uh, I'm constantly doing that. I know, like, I know what a word generally means. Like, um, I've heard it used in conversation, um, and I, I've learned what it means before. But then I'll just be going and use it in conversation where it just feels correct. Like, it just, this just feels correct with this word. And then later, when I'm looking it up or really finding out what the word is, I'm going, oh wow, I was like way off. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've done that plenty of times. <laughs> Plenty of you wonder how many times the other people on the other end uh, didn't realize that you just did that, or if they did realize and didn't say anything to you. Yeah. <laughs> so like, um, if you if you just make yourself sound like you know what you're talking about, people will believe you. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess that you know what that's probably, and I'm. Again, I'm just speaking from a place of ignorance and looking from the outside. But I imagine that is probably a lot in the acting when people are going out for roles or you're trying to network like yourself, like you're trying to network in there and meet people. Um, Mm -hmm. You get a lot of people, I'm imagining... And I've said imagine way too much already. I got. I really have to work on some of these communication skills. Um, but the work the word ilk in there somewhere. Yeah, the ilk to um, like I guess go above and beyond to show them there's something that they're not, and use those big words and try to get in. Like, look how smart I am, or look how awesome I am. I'm trying to fit in with you here. I'm trying to fit in with you there. It's you know, and then other people not telling them. No, that's not what that means. Like, do you know what that means? I can help you out with that. And this is a funny moment yeah. right now that I'm going to take advantage of because they're at the same time like, okay, I might run into you down the line and I'm the guy that made fun of you for using the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want that. I've definitely been in situations where somebody repeatedly used the wrong word in conversation before and I haven't said anything. And I can guarantee I've been on the other side of that as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, where nobody corrected me. So what what is what about this like? Have you lived in New York, the New York area, your whole life? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I lived in New York. I mean, I was raised in the suburbs uh, in Rockland County, um, and then I went to school in New Jersey, uh, and then I went to went to grad school in London, which is great. I lived there for a year. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that was that was really cool. So for a whole year, um, you lived in London. Yep. Right on, man. Usually, 
easily one of the best years of my life. <laughs> Plus, it helped that I was in I was in grad school and I was literally just like studying acting and acting theory all day every day, and I didn't have to worry because I had student loan documents that I took out. Didn't necessarily have to worry about like um, about oh I have to go to work now I have to do this. Um, it was yeah. Um, so that that definitely helped it being one of the best years, but also living living in London was it was I'd been I'd studied abroad there, uh, and I knew I wanted to go back for grad school or something, and it was like a dream come true being there. Did you get to pick um, it, or you just get like I mean, door just opened yeah. up for you to do that? What was that? Did the, that door just opened you up, opened up for you to do that, like to go to grad school over there? Or is that something that anybody can do in that program if they want? Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on that. I, I had to audition for the school and everything, and I got accepted, and then I went through the whole process of getting a visa to study there and whatnot. Um, yeah, but the the opportunity the opportunity to go there arose, and I was like, what do I have to do to make this happen? Because I want to make it happen. And I made it happen. Um, and then I came back. I actually came back. Um, I came back a few weeks early for Matt and Mel's wedding. Oh. Yeah. It was funny. I was, uh, I came back on a, when did I come back? It was like a, it was July of whatever year they got married. I'm forgetting the year. 2014, I think. Yeah. Um, I said I that like back. I said that like I know. I really don't know. I just met them. Not like I mean, mm-hmm. when I met Kim, that's when I met them, and so I haven't mm-hmm. known them for like a crazy amount of time. Um, yep. I just really dig them. They're awesome people. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're um, they're two of my favorite people in the world. I'm so happy that Matt got into Syracuse because he's. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were pulling um, to try to get him to Texas the whole time. Like, man, UT's got a great art program. <laughs> that would have been great. I'm sure he would have loved that too. Uh, I'm just I'm really glad he got into a program he wanted to get into because he's easily one of the most talented painters I've ever met or witnessed in my life. Yeah, and just um, shameless plug on the podcast. Uh, he is the one that designed the logo for the podcast that's up there now. And I could not be That's happier. Awesome. I look at it and I just smile every single time I see. I like. I'll open up the page and just look at the at the logo and be like, "Yeah, yeah that's awesome." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Fun, fun fact: I I have a theater. I own a theater company also with two other people. He Whoa! Designed our logo as well. He designed our logo as well, and I do the same thing with the logo. So you <laughs> you okay? So you own a theater company as well? I do own a theater company as well. Yes. Right on. That's um, cool. So, what's yeah. that like? Uh, it's it is crazy. Um, I I started it with a couple friends um, in 2016. So we're a little over two years old at this point. Um, and it's been it's been a pretty crazy ride. Um, it's. It's a lot of it's a lot of asking people for donations uh, because a lot of that is how theater gets made, um, and it's figuring out essentially how to run a nonprofit uh, because that's what a lot of small theater companies have to become nonprofits and to be eligible for uh, for grants and bigger donations and stuff like that. Um, 
So some of it's been very, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Baptism by fire. Uh, and I'm very much learning as I'm going. But yeah. it's also helped me in so many other aspects of life. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. let's see. So you're, you're, you're selling, I mean, you're selling stuff, basically. You're really selling the theater. It's not, mm-hmm. that's part of, like, every job. you got to go out there and sell it to keep your doors open, you know? And then, yeah. and then now you've got to, do you pick the shows that get to go on at that theater company? We do, yeah. Do you, um, do you produce all of them? Yeah. Do you get other producers? How's that work? Some shows we get other producers that we co-produce with. We've mostly only done in our two-year life, which in the grand scheme of things, grand scheme of things is not a long time, especially in the theater world. Um, in We've mostly produced readings of shows we we've come across that we're like, yeah, we want to, we want to help you develop this. Um, we think it's ready to be read aloud in front of a live audience. Um, so you can get feedback from the audience. That's like what clicked with them. Um, what you think you need to change all that, like basically how they responded to the play in its iteration now and the player who takes that information and they go out and they, continue writing working on their next track we actually have i'm not going to name the play just yet because we're still working on getting contracts and the venue together and everything there is a play we've been working on developing for about a year now that we're actually going to give a world premiere production to later this year nice Um, and that's going to be that's going to be a co-production with uh with an individual who is willing to put money into this show very cool. Um, yeah, so that'll be happening later this winter. So, um, do you like? Uh, yeah, do you like, do you spend a lot of time reading scripts? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I get, I get. So all the so we take we take open script submissions, and all these submissions go to my email address. So I'll get like ten emails a day with like. Any anything ranging from like a ten page script to a two hundred page script, um, and so I do spend a lot of time reading reading through those, or at least reading through a large portion of those. So I got um, I, I. How hard is it to one discern what a good script is versus a bad script? Not seeing it played out, but reading it, and then on the flip side of that do you ever read so many scripts that it makes it difficult to discern the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, well, discerning the difference between a good script and a bad script, uh, there's definitely bad scripts I've read. I don't want to say I haven't read a bad script, but it's not so much about... I don't. I guess bad script is, is a bad way to put it. It's uh, scripts, that, yeah. scripts that will... Play, like, theater companies got to make money and put on good shows. So, a, a yeah. script that will play out the way you want it, like something that's going to sell. Yeah, scripts that will like, resonate with our audience. Also, scripts that can like fit our aesthetic as well. Um, yeah, because we don't want to do like this show about like these two brothers whose mother died or something like that, and then the next show we do be like a parody musical. Um, because we don't really do musicals anyway, just because none of us really have the know-how or desire to do a musical. Um, 
Like, do you ever read so many of them where it makes it hard to tell the difference? Like, hard to um, that where they all start looking the same. I guess is what I'm trying to say uh, with that. But you kind of answered the question a little bit in saying yeah. that you have an idea. You already have an idea of what you're looking for. You have a model. You have a, a, a strict lane that you want to stay in in this in this theater company mm-hmm. that you don't you don't want to. Um, try to be everything to everyone. You actually want to be for this lane right here, so people know what they. Exactly. People can. Not, it's not going to be the same thing every time, but people can expect a certain type and quality of show from the theater company you're running. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's a really important aspect in running the company too. Obviously, you need to know what your mission is, what you're all about. Um, because just for funding, if you're the more clear you are with the type of work you're doing and how you're measuring that work, the more likely you are to get funding. Um, with the artists you work with, um, you're more likely to be held in a higher regard. If you're able to be like, oh, I know what I know what to expect from them, um, and obviously it's nice to like throw something in the mix that like shakes things up a little bit but something that's still like at its core meets our value still got your fundamentals in there you're really building like it's just a brand it's a brand of theater company that you're building um that people like can grow and come to expect like if you've never been to texas the bucky's gas station is like that you see that bucky sign you know exactly where you're going to stop and for what reason why yeah. like you, you know that they they might have a few different things and maybe arrange a little different but everything fundamentally from top to bottom is going to be the same so from gas stations to anything that you do it's basically hedging all your bets on your strengths and your strong point and not let it not trying to be you know uh everything to everybody exactly yeah, yeah. it's like you said it's when it's, it's getting to the point where, like, someone sees our logo on something we're doing, and they're like, oh, they're doing a new show. I really liked the last two things they did, and it resonated with me. I want to go see one of their shows again. Um, Boom. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, it's knowing that when you come to see our stuff, it's going to be something you relate to, something that's 
Man, so you're you're like a theater company owner. You work. How many other people do you work for doing like technical stuff and lighting and helping the producing? And then how much stuff do you write on top of that? Um. So doing the technical stuff, I'm working for this month. I'm working for two companies. Um, and then in February, I have one show I'm doing. Uh, granted, I'm going to Europe for half of February also. Um, oh, that's neat. I'm doing one show. Yeah. And then come March, I'll be doing, out of now, in March and April, I'll be doing one show each of those months as well. Uh, but I'm sure something else will pop up. If not, I'll have someone reach out to me probably like, hey, I need help on this carpentry call tomorrow from this time to this time. Can you come in and do it? So, so usually it's somewhat difficult to find a full day off. <laughs> um, but then, I'm, yeah. then on top of that, right now I'm working, um, obviously I'm working towards getting this show that we want to do later on this year, uh, which is just, which is a lot of, right now I'm doing grant research for it, figuring out, trying to pinpoint grants that will work really well for this specific show, um, as well as grants that will work well for our company as a whole so we can get some general operating funds, you know, to just keep the lights on. Um, so in that aspect of it, I'm also doing, uh, I'm also going back and forth creating a budget for this show with a, with the co-owners of my company and the other person that wants to produce with us. So it's a lot of that. And then coming through the contract from our venue to be like, Hmm, this works for us. This doesn't here and there changing things. And then I'm also working on a, uh, a full length play and a one man show that I started writing. Man. So uh, for, for people who think that like, it's an easy, I mean, this just from what you told me it doesn't sound like you can be like i'm gonna sleep in today i'm gonna take it easy and only work a couple of hours and go grab a cup of coffee and then just hang out and talk to my friends you know i'm an actor i'm a writer i'm a producer it sounds like you're busy from sun up to sundown pretty much sometimes i'm busy from sun up to sun up found a way to do something all day that you absolutely love to do so i guess i mean does it ever do you ever get burned out on it or is it just like man i'm i get to go to work today this is awesome yeah uh there there are definitely points where i get burned out on it um 
the world the world isn't a perfect place. Um, yeah, but I've I've definitely gotten burnt down on it before. If you talk to either of my roommates, they'll tell you they'll tell you about my lowest of lows, and I'm like, oh, I can't take this right now. Um, but at the end of the day, the good has outweighed the bad by a lot. Um, yeah, because it is an easy profession to get burnt down on, and sometimes you do have to take a step back, uh, which is what I'm working on now also being able to take a step back and be like, let me breathe for a second. Let me go do this. Uh, and then I'll come back to this later. Yeah. So is, is that what Europe is all about? Are you going over there for work? Are you going over there to like, Hey, I need to recharge my batteries a little bit. Um, it's the, the latter. Uh, I'm actually going over there for, <clears throat> for my 30th birthday. Nice. Like, you know, I'm going to turn 30 in Europe. Yeah. One of my favorite musicians. <clears throat> Sorry. One of my favorite musicians is actually playing a show in London on my birthday this year. Uh, and when I saw that was happening, I texted my friend. And I was like, this is happening on my birthday. We need to go. Let's figure out a way to do it. Initially, this trip started as like a five-day trip to London where we just like hang out, go I'd visit a few people I went to grad school with. Um, and we just like hang out in London. And then... One of my other friends, whose birthday is actually a couple of weeks after mine, he was like, hey, what if I tag along with you? And we were like, sure. And then he was like, I've actually never been to Europe before, so can we go to more places than just London? And we're like, all right, let's 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 talk about it. So we went from the five-day trip to London to now a two-week trip to London, Edinburgh, and Amsterdam. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's my first, like, real vacation in, like, two years also. Um, like, I've gone to, like, L.A. to visit friends and stuff like that before. Um, and I've come, like, here and there. But it's, like, the first time I'm going to be away for more than four days at a time, really. Man. Like, that'll, be, that'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to that. And it's very much a, like, recharge type of trip. Are you going to have to still work with your theater company while you're over there? Or is this, like... I mean, this is full-on vacation style. I'm sure I'll still be responding to emails and working on budgets, but not to the degree I am right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the, I mean, because that's kind of the life of a business owner. It's really hard for you to actually go there and not, I mean, you'd have to be so, have such a successful, like, work so many hours and have it for so many years before you can get a chance to where you can, like I'm going there, and you're I'm not going to handle anything, you know. Um, that's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. So you have to answer emails, you have to pay attention to the budget, but it's not to the extent of what there. And when you do answer, you can just switch gears and go right back into I'm in Europe right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's not one of those. Yeah, because it's also like I'll be there, so it's not like I can be like someone will email me at midnight, like, hey, I need someone to come in and help me at night in the morning, and I'll because. I'm very much a yes man a lot of the time. Yeah. Like if someone asks me to come in and help them the next day, I'm free. I'll be like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll come in and I'll help you tomorrow. Um, but it'll take me out of that. And like, I physically won't be able to go and then help them. Which is a personal thing on my part. Uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to, to be there and recharge a little bit. Man. And answer some emails. 
So what do you what do you like to do as hobbies when you go over there? Like what is your what is your um, your drug of choice when it comes to activities or when you go on vacations like that? How do you recharge and what do you do to for fun? Um, I'm so I'm kind of like is one of the reasons I like going to London and Edinburgh so much. I'm kind of like a medieval history nerd. Okay. Um, not to the extent where I like know a huge amount about it, but like I enjoy going to castles, walking around castles. <laughs> um, it's a it's a very strange thing to enjoy, but like that's like my that's that's the equivalent of my like going to the beach to relax. I don't think so I don't think it's I think it sounds weird to say out loud, but how do they have so many Renaissance festivals everywhere if people don't like walking around castles? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And just like yeah, I like the idea of like going into a building and being like, This has been standing here for thousands of years and the amount of people that have probably walked through these halls crazy yeah you ever pick like you start picturing in your head um the the people what it must have been like the clothes they were wearing like the climate like what the weather feels like inside you know the there's no air conditioning or whatever you know you you start picturing all that in your head and playing out like a scene in a movie so to speak yeah pretty much i was just like it was such a different world that like we can't even fathom nowadays like how they probably live like i know there's there's text on it and everything like that, but like, it's just, it's crazy to think about the way they live in those castles at that time. Yeah, it is. It's really crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, whenever you go to a place, that's why it would be so cool to go to Ireland. That's why it's on our, uh, Kim and I's five year anniversary list, list to, uh, go to Ireland because there is so much like history and, the you know the people that have walked over those areas and seen those things and all the different buildings and I can just imagine I imagine it in my head so similar to the castle thing you know I would definitely walk through a castle that's not something I mean it would be pretty cool I don't think that's weird at all but then again I've been told I'm weird too so <laughs> yeah it's more fun being weird really it truly uh, is I I agree with you yeah. <laughs> I think one of the most holistic experiences I've ever had in my life, and I'm not one to be like punch drunk on holistic experiences, but was actually when I went to Stonehenge. And I was like, this has been here for such a long time. Nobody knows how it got here. And just thinking about the people that put it there. It's, it, was, it was a crazy thing to me to be like, wow. And I felt just felt like for some reason felt really at peace at it dude i can't wait to see it that's so that's so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely that i'm jealous that you've that you've been there but i'm glad to have people like you i can talk to that pump me up and fire me up about going to places like that now i'm now when i go we're for sure walking through a castle and i'm sending you a picture yes please do <laughs> awesome man well um, is there anything you want to plug in your shows, your theater company, put it out there, um, Instagram, Facebook pages or anything like that before we call it quits on the podcast? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you want to see what my theater company is up to, you can go to 
www.nowcollective.org. That's .org, .com. Um, yeah, and you can keep up on what we're doing. We'll be making announcements about the shows we're doing this coming year, the readings we're doing this coming year on the website. You can also subscribe to our newsletter if, you, if you'd like to. Um, and if you're so inclined, you don't have to. You can make a donation on our donate link. Uh, donate link. It's completely 100% tax deductible. Um, yeah, that's all I really have to plug. Um, yeah, if you're if you're in New York, see the see a play called The Ferryman. I have no equity stake in this whatsoever. I just think it's one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life. The Ferryman. I'm the Ferryman. Yeah. It is a, it's a heavy play, set in Ireland in the 80s. Um, it's also three and a half hours long, two intermissions, but it does not feel like three and a half hours at all, which I think is a sign of a really good show. Right on, man. Right on. Mm-hmm. Well, man, this has been fun. I, I really enjoyed hearing the really story. Um, just knowing, like, you decided when you were 12 to pursue acting or something in that and you have just bounced around everywhere inside that business because you love it so much i mean it truly is like like that lady i guess it was a lady that said or that person that said you know they they count on you because you're dedicated so i mean it's been enjoyable sean thanks for doing this thank you for having me i appreciate it uh yeah let me know let me know those dates are going to be in new york and I'll definitely come crash something before we were doing. <laughs> oh, for sure. Me, um, me and Matt are getting a cup of coffee at uh, as many coffee shops as we as we are allowed to by our wives. Great. I have. I I may join you on that quest, and I have plenty of coffee shop recommendations for you guys. <laughs> right on, um, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> great. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. This is great.